Hello, everybody. My name is Jonathan Price. I am the podcast producer here at Audio Information Network of Colorado. And you may be thinking, who in the world is this guy? Well, I am taking over for Penn this week because we are bringing to you a special episode of Aftersight. This is our Aging at Altitude uh, Story Booth Summit. And we got to sit down with people from all walks of life, all types of career paths and young and old alike. And it was so cool to hear some of these stories. We have stories ranging from people climbing Pikes Peak after only being in Colorado a few months to people um, whose dads played with some of the most famous musicians in Vegas to music therapists to, well, basically you name it. So I'm going to shut up. And I'm going to let you hear some incredible stories. If you have any questions, please visit us at aincolorado.org. And if you need any resources, just put a slash resources at the end of that address. All right. Enough of me chatting. Let's get into some of the stories. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Price. I am the podcast producer here at AINC. And we are at the Aging in Aging at Altitude. Uh, event here in Boulder, Colorado. And I am sitting here with Barbara Newsom. Uh, Barbara just signed up to be a reader for AINC. So you'll be hearing her voice here shortly, hopefully. Uh, Barbara, tell me a little bit about why you joined the volunteer program at AINC. I have a couple reasons why I wanted to volunteer, volunteer with AINC. Um, I'm a physical therapist who works with seniors, who many of them are visually impaired and have different um, access problems to reading uh, materials, and I know they, they enjoy it when someone will read for them. So for them to be able to have access to the reading materials uh, whenever they want would be an amazing thing for them. I also had the um, wonderful opportunity of dating a visually impaired man and learn a great deal again about what the whole community um, is about and resources that are out there and more that are needed. Very cool. So what brought you to the Aging and Altitude event? Well, I am 60, so I am in the demographics, um, but also, again, um, wanted to find out more resources for the people I work with and um, in my community as well. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your personal story. What, what kind of makes you tick? I'm very active. Um, I live here in Colorado. I love the mountains. I, uh, my, I was just with my daughter this morning and we went for a run. Um, I, I am very adamant about, well, I wouldn't say I'm very enthusiastic about keeping people active, um, because that's how they're going to have quality of life as well. So my whole, uh, being is about keeping people active and, and independent. You know, again, I work in a facility where people lose their independence and I, and that's just so sad to see. Um, so maintaining independence through physical as well as mental and, and um, emotional side of it as well. So you said you were a physical therapist. I am a physical therapist. That's awesome. Do you, are you currently doing that? Yes. And what sort of field in physical therapy are you working? So in? I work in geriatrics. Okay. Um, so again, a lot of my, my people are uh, visually impaired. Um, and we have our campus, uh, it's villas at sunny acres. I think I can say that. Um, and it's in Thornton and we have everything, everything from rehab, long-term care, which is like nursing home, um, assisted living, independent living at three different varieties of housing. Um, so again, those are people who need these kinds of services and uh, it's what I do for a living, but it's also my passion. Wow. That's really cool. What, what are you hoping to get out of this volunteer experience? I don't know. Uh, I just somehow it 
kind of reached out and, and said, yes, you can do this. Um, and so I wanted to try. Very cool. Is there a particular thing that you're hoping you can read or is there a particular direction you would like to go with volunteering? Um, I don't know yet. I don't know all the aspects that are available. I, I feel like reading books would be an area I'd like, but I know a lot of people like the newspaper, um, you know, some of those type of things too. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to learn what you guys have available and need. Awesome. And learn what I like. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Barbara, I'm so thankful that you got to sit down with us and thank you for becoming a volunteer. I hope uh, if you're listening to this that um, and you're considering being a volunteer, reach out to us. You can visit us at AINcolorado.org uh, and you can find tons of resources, tons of podcasts, tons of volunteer information. So don't hesitate to reach out to myself, Jonathan, or Evan, or Penn, or actually our uh, volunteer services coordinator who is brand new, Lauren, Lauren Bear, and you can hear her on our last episode of Aftersight. Um, or actually probably by the time this airs a few episodes ago, uh, episode 51 on Aftersight. So uh, reach out to us. Uh, you can reach us at our first names, either Jonathan, Lauren, Evan, or Penn at AINcolorado.org. So everybody have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Barbara. Thank you, Jonathan. This is Evan from AINC at the Aging at Altitude Story Booth. Joining us today is Brahma Sharma. You came to our story booth with quite a lot of interesting little tidbits. So go ahead and tell us your story. Oh, thank you. Thank yes. you for inviting me here. Uh, I am addressing the biggest fourth leading cause of death in the U.S. alone. That is the prescriptions given by your doctor taken as directed because doctors prescribe, but let's try this. If it doesn't work, we'll try something else. Every medication has a side effects. Sometimes it's a minor upset stomach, more serious about uh, dizziness, tripping over. It can lead to hospitalization. And unfortunately for some, it can lead to even death. As I say, it's a fourth leading cause of death. One patient, a legal drug prescribed by the doctor, taken as directed, not overdosed, is killing one patient every four minutes in the U.S. alone. That is, let me put it differently, 350 people we are losing every day. It's wow. like a one full plane full of people. So that is a major concern. And the reason for that is the pharmaceutical companies make these medications for an average person. And we know nobody's an average. You listeners, you're not average. I'm not an average. So there is NIH, National Institute of Health, says the genetic variations we inherit from our parents not only control how we look and we are different from our siblings, it also controls how we respond to a drug. So now there is a simple cheek swab test which predicts before doctor even prescribes whether the drug is going to be just right for you or too hot or too cold, like a Goldilocks story. And it's a once in a lifetime test. So with the test, the doctor will have a list of all the medications for you in the red color, green color, and blue color. 
if any of the medications are in the red color, your doctor should remove them and find a therapeutically equivalent drug in a green box. And if it is a blue box, that means they should start at the higher dose because you are clearing the drug too fast. Yeah. So the listeners, I just finished writing a book, The Right Drug Dose for ev sorry, right drug for every patient. And that coincides with the, interestingly enough, in a Congress, there is a bipartisan bill, which titled at Right Drug Dose Act. And it's, I think you should connect with your congressman and tell them to pass this test. It talks about the seriousness of the side effects, adverse drug reaction, and it also talks about the PGX test, which I'm talking about, and it has a funding for the healthcare providers, doctors to be educated. In fact, FDA has a list of 200 plus drugs where they are strongly recommending this PGX test before or soon after prescribing those. And in addition to that, they have a list of 70 plus drugs which are more serious, come with the black box warnings they are requiring this test. Let me repeat, requiring, but most of the doctors are still ignoring it. If any listener wants to get my uh, book, I, I'll be glad to send you the manuscript, no charge. Email me at brahmasharma at hotmail.com. That's a B-R-A-H-M-A-S-H-A-R-M-A, -A -A, my telephone number. 303-956-4693 and at the last page of the book is the link for that Congress bill. So contact, review that, contact that and with, with my email I'll also send you a letter. You can take it to your doctor and say, Doc, I'm concerned about my medications. Please read this letter and find a progressive doctor if your doctor is not and it gives the, your doctor, all the doctors actually, a list of the drugs in a color. Green, red, Color coordinated. Just like you're driving, red, it's not recommended for you. Green Health is good. And blue, blue is where you are ultra fast, your, your drug is leaving your body too soon before it has chance to work. In that case, doctor should give you a higher dose to start with. Gotcha. And uh, green is the ideal, red, they should stay away. In fact, using that test, they can, there are reports out there, is they can reduce the number of drugs you are on. It's a benefit for everybody and it's a lifesaver. So share that with, not only with your own doctor, but your friends and relatives. Anybody who's on medication, I am, I have done my test. And guess what? I cannot take opiates. And that's the first thing doctors are giving you as a painkiller. Yes. I just wonder dangerous. why they call it a killer. It's a literal killer. It, it is. It and, is. And, and, and in fact, mm -hmm. in my book, I say the addiction to the opiates, it starts with a prescription given by a doctor taken as directed. Mm -hmm. So if your gene is not acting well, your pain keeps coming back. You need more and more opiate doctors are giving you. Pretty soon you get addicted to morphine 
which is an active drug, and then what happens? Some of you get, go around the doctors, get a multiple prescriptions. Pretty soon you start stealing. Children start stealing from the parents. Parents start stealing with the uh, you know children, and eventually it goes down to a street level, which is a major major problem. So if the doctor stop that prescribing to the wrong people that's the first thing yes any other questions i may answer well it sounds like there's literally no downside to taking this test like everybody and their their mother their puppy they should all take the test and so you'd mentioned that to get your book send you an email and for um for those who didn't catch the email we will definitely put it in the show notes um, and that's how your book is available. It's not available anywhere else uh, other not than your at email. the moment. It's about to be printed, but right now I'm glad to send you electronic manuscript. And okay. again, my name is book would be about $30. Okay. And, uh, so again, my name, email address is Brahma Sharma, B R A H M A S H A R M A. At hotmail.com. My telephone number is 303-956-4693. And a little bit of my background, I am a retired chemist from pharmaceutical and medical device industry. Oh, and that's perfect. when I got aware of this seriousness of an adverse drug reaction, I decided to write the book. And coincidentally, Congress is listening. So go support the Congress and we can all get the personalized medication. And spread the word. That's the best thing. And spread the word and save your life. Exactly. That, that's save more your life important. and everybody else's. Oh, one more thing. Yes. Insurance companies are paying for the test. Oh, good. And So nobody has to pay for it. No. Well, we uh, don't. And uh, in my book, I say this test should be given to every child right after they are born. So they will never have a non-personalized medication or guesswork from the doctors. This sounds like a game changer. So thank you so much for coming to our story booth and sharing all of this wonderful information. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Next up today, we have Dory Gunn. Yes, another unique and cool last name, right? Um, what brings you to the Aging at Altitude today? We have a booth set up for Chris Mortuary. Oh, very good. Um, may I ask what Chris Mortuary is really quick? So we, um, we actually have a mortuary and a cemetery where um, we take care of families at their passing. Um, tell us why you're sitting down at the story booth today. What story would you like to tell us? I would like to tell you about my father. So. My father was in the military at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and he played for the Army Band. Um, he did things in New York, and um, after he graduated from college, we lived in Las Vegas. So my father played for Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, um, basically any big names, Tom Jones, any big names that came into Vegas in the 70s, he was the requested trumpeter. Um, he also taught college 
He was a jazz musician, um, and he, at his time of passing, was still playing and teaching at a community college in Kansas. Wow, that's really incredible. And you said he was a trumpet player. He was a trumpet player. His um, his parents actually owned a music store, and he could play any instrument. What is your favorite memorabilia from his time? So there was a couple times when I was very young um, when he played for some of the superstars. Oh yeah. They would um, when they couldn't find a sitter, they would have me sit in the light booth with the light people that ran the lights. So that's cool. So yeah, Elvis Presley, Glenn Miller. I mean, all of the famous musicians that we know and love today were still alive and well at that time. So that's pretty cool that he got to actually meet those people. Um, and was the trumpet like the only instrument he played or did he actually uh, try and take on some other ones too? When he played for um, the stars, it was just the trumpet. Um, he was known for hitting high C's, which I guess... That's pretty hard to play, isn't yes. it? Yes. So... That was his claim to fame. That's pretty incredible, though. May I ask when he... I know this is not the funnest topic, but I would like to know. When when did he pass? He passed in January of 2020. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. That's pretty recent. But that is an incredible story. Thank you so much for yeah, telling us. That is wonderful. My biggest thing is he was playing music till the day he died. Well, Dory... Thank you so much for taking the time and letting us interview you today. We hope you had a good time. I did. Thank you for letting me share. Yeah, definitely have fun today at Aging Out Altitude. There's plenty of swag and it's it's going to be a good time for everybody. Yes, it will be. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jonathan Price. I am so excited to be bringing you a very special guest who I just happened to meet. Her name is Michaela. She is a music therapist uh, graduating from CSU up in Fort Collins. So all of you uh, focos up there, uh, this one's for you. Michaela, tell me a little bit about why you're here and what you're doing. Great question. So although I am a board certified music therapist, I work in dementia care um, in Longmont. So I'm the activity director there and I bring my music therapy skills a lot into my job when I'm leading activities. Um, why am I here? I'm here with our marketing director to help out with the booth. I was also invited to present on the benefits of music therapy for individuals with dementia. So I'll be doing that in just a few minutes here. Very cool, awesome. So for those of you out there who don't know what music therapy is, Give us a brief overview and kind of explain why music why music therapy is so beneficial and what it is. Okay, I'll quickly break it down the best I can. Um, the American Music Therapy Association has a really nicely outlined definition of what music therapy is, but essentially a music therapy clinician will set goals and objectives for a client that are non-musical and then they have all this training as a musician and as a clinician to use music as a tool to address non-musical goals. Okay. So that's what music therapy is. It can look a lot of different ways depending on the goals you're working on, what music the person likes, who they are, you know, what their strengths are, whether they want to work on creating a product together, right. like, you know, composing a song or so it, it, it can really is vary. It instrument based or is it singing based it's all of it it's okay. all of it anything from 
singing with no instruments to a band of instruments to body percussion. Mm. Um, yeah, it can be as long as the music therapist is using it for a reason in a clinical sense. So give me an example of a reason that I would bring in a musical therapist for something I'm working on. Just in general? Yeah, in general. In like, your... is it is it trauma-based? Is it okay. to help with, um, like, grief and loss? Or yeah, what are some of the be. scenarios that you um, can use Music it? therapy can be used to treat all areas of functioning. So um, a lot of times a music therapist will work on a team of, you know, other clinicians, physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, because really what music does is it uses a widespread network of neural mechanisms. Okay. So it reaches all of these different areas and it kind of employs multiple um, functionalities towards one goal. And okay. so it can strengthen the skills that the person is gaining that they're working on in their therapy session. So it can be emotional based. It can be related to talk therapy, grief processing trauma, but it can also be very physical. Um, okay. Music therapy is used a lot with, like, for example, um, gait training. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody has right. had a stroke or traumatic brain injury okay. um, or they have Parkinson's, music therapy can be used as a tool in those physical interventions. Right. Do you guys ever use metronome therapy in that sort of music therapy world? I, yes. Metronomes are actually used quite frequently in the gait training okay. um, techniques. I don't know the term metronome therapy though so maybe you can so in in yeah. some of the music experiments that i've dealt with um kind of like what you're talking about with the gate therapy where you kind of you use a either ticking metronome or a beep or some sort of uh automatic pulse that's constant and you use that to reprogram the brain into yes. more healthier yes. situations yes yeah it helps because Rhythm provides a constant, unchanging, it's very grounding, and um, there's something called entrainment. Mm -hmm. It's essentially a neural mechanism. It's how our brains respond to rhythm. Right. And that's why sometimes if you hear music playing when you're walking down the hall, suddenly your steps will sync with the beat because our bodies respond to rhythm innately. So when I'm sitting at a stoplight and all of a sudden my windshield wipers or my blinker is in tune with what's <laughs> happening on the radio, my spirit gets excited. Is yeah. that what you're saying? <laughs> Um, that's awesome. So what is your goal here? My goal here is to advocate for the music therapy profession and also to share how special of a tool it can be in dementia care specifically. Okay. Yeah, I think, and in all levels of functioning, truly, they can be high functioning and not have as many, you know, effects of the disease, or they can be mostly apathetic and and not super mobile. But music touches people in so many ways, right? And you can you can still connect with them on a human level. So. So, given music, and you're a music therapist, do you play instruments? Yes. What do you play? Um, the music therapy training at CSU requires voice lessons, oh, okay. guitar class, piano class, and percussion techniques. Uh -huh. So those are the four basics. I also play the tuba and the flute. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. Marching band? 
Definitely. Not in college, but in high school. <laughs> I could never get on board with marching band. I was always orchestra and jazz band and oh, choir. Oh, I love jazz band. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so you're giving a speech in just a few minutes. Yes. Give us a preview of what that speech is going to sound like. Are there any takeaways that you want our listeners to know? Yes. In fact, it is very closely related to what we just talked about. It's about the benefits of music therapy for dementia. Okay. Um, for individuals with dementia. So basically what I'm going to do is give a crash course on music therapy, a crash course on dementia, and then they'll converge and I'll discuss how those interventions can be used for the treatment of symptoms of dementia. Okay. And I'm just hoping that people leave feeling inspired to learn more and also recognize music therapy as a valid clinical treatment. Very cool. Well, in closing up, uh, how can people get a hold of you? How can they figure out or how can they find out more about what you're doing? If you have questions about my work at Alta Vida, you can always call the Alta Vida Memory Care Center and ask for Michaela. Um, I'm the activities director there. You can also email me. Um, if you have questions, my name is Michaela Findley, and it's M-I-K-A-Y-L-A Findley, F-I-N-D-L-E-Y at gmail.com. Very cool. And do you guys have a phone number for your facility? Yes, it's 303-300-3700. Fantastic. All right. Well, Michaela, it's been such a great uh, conversation with you. Good luck with your speech, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Right. This is Evan with the Audio Information Network of Colorado, the Aging and Altitude, and our story booth. And joining us today, we have Michelle Wallace. So, Michelle, tell us your story. You had a pretty cool one a few minutes ago. So, can you definitely just re retell that story? Because that was pretty incredible. Absolutely. Okay. So, my mother was widowed at age 52 in 1975. And things were a lot different for women then working. Yes, so I remember. she needed to work. And so she was going out looking for a job. She kept telling me that nobody would ever hire her because she was too old at 52. I, I was a hiring manager at the point. So I said to her, look, from a hiring manager's perspective, here's what I see when I talk to you. I see someone who needs a job, will give me their best work, and has a good work, th work ethic because you're older. Number two, you're not going to go out every night partying and come in hungover, which is really a good thing for, for a manager. Number three, you're not going to run off and get pregnant and need maternity leave. And number four, you're not going to be on the phone all day about your boyfriend. <laughs> so senior workers have a lot to give. And it is a misnomer that senior workers are slow or slow to learn. We can learn just as well as anybody else. And my mom was successful in finding a job with a publishing company. So I feel really good. I changed her whole outlook on job search just with that little story. That is absolutely amazing. And for any seniors listening, keep that in mind. You guys can still work. If you guys, if you need money and you want to work, you got what it takes. So just do it. This is, um, that's amazing. Right. That's and very inspiring. Think about it from the manager's point of view, because the manager is dealing with a lot of staffing challenges. 
and people wanting more and more things from them. So if you're a good worker, they want you. Absolutely. Um, so what brings you to the Aging at Altitude event? Oh, I'm, I'm 74 and okay. I live here. <laughs> and you're aging at altitude. I'm aging at altitude. You got it. Well, that's amazing. Well, I know this is a pretty brief one, but thank you so much for thank telling you. your story. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. This is Evan from AINC at the Aging at Altitude Story Booth. And joining us today is Mickey Schuett. Smicky, what brings you to the Story Booth today? Tell us the story you would like to tell. Well, I'd like to tell you the story about how I got to Colorado because it, it disrupted me in 1967 when I got my draft notice uh, for the military for Vietnam. And uh, I decided to join the Air Force, and I ended up in Colorado uh, after basic training. Uh, you know, and I all—I just fell in love with Colorado. I mean, I wasn't here but six months, but it made a, a distinct impression on me as a wonderful, wonderful place to live. But as I was saying, I was in the military, so I got shipped around a lot and went back to Chicago where I grew up and kind of stayed there, got married and had children. Um, and in 1995, I was sitting in my office in Chicago on the 16th floor of the Merchandise Mart and a guy walked in and he said, my God, you've got the most beautiful view in the world. He says, you've got the river running by, you've got all these, the beautiful buildings and all that. And I turned to him and I said, it's concrete and steel. <laughs> You know, and it just hit me. I mean, it was the weirdest thing in the world. Uh, here I am in my job and very successful at what I was doing. And I quit my job the next day and called my son in Hawaii. And I said, you got to come home. I'm moving to Colorado. And he goes, what do you mean you're moving to Colorado? I said, I quit my job. I said, I'm moving to Colorado. I don't have another job. I'm just going to move to Colorado. And I figured I still young enough at the time I'd be able to find another job. So that's how I got to Colorado. That's really incredible. Um, so how old were you when you actually joined, when you actually moved to Colorado? Well, I got here in 1995. Um, I, w I turned 40 years old a month after I moved here. I moved to Colorado Springs first um, because like I said, I didn't have a job, but I had an interview for a job. And I took the job, but I took them with the caveat that I wanted to spend three months before I started work for them. And they were good with that. And I spent three months traveling the whole state, going to Hot Springs, riding my mountain bike that I bought in Colorado Springs, and have just get any rejuvenation about at 40 years old, what my life was all about. And uh, I don't regret one minute of what I did. That sounds awesome. Is there a particular moment when after you moved to Colorado that's, um, that stands out to you? Do you have a particular memory that you just love? Yeah. Uh, three months after I moved here, I was in my apartment in Colorado Springs, and I decided I was going to climb uh, Pikes Peak. 
Mm. You know, now here's a kid from Chicago, you know, not very high sea level, let's put it that way. And, you know, after three months, I thought I was acclimated for this. Uh, so I took my backpack, got my water, and got my mountain bike, and I rode my mountain bike up to the base of uh, Pikes Peak, and then parked it and locked it up, and I hiked Pikes Peak. That and, is incredible. Wow. Yeah. So that, that, was a, that was a defining moment for me, because when I got to the top, I mean, I met people. It was cool, because I met people walking and hiking, and I met a guy, and he said, well, it's my birthday. And I said, well, it's my birthday. He was 30 years old. I was 40. And we hiked together. We ended up hiking together to the top of Pikes Peak. Wow. Did you guys become hiking buddies? No. That was the last time I saw the gentleman. Bummer. Yeah. Well, what brings you to aging at altitude? Um, I'm kind of retired. I'm 76 years old. Um, you know, things are going pretty good health-wise. I'm very healthy. I've stayed healthy most of my life. And I, I do all that to Colorado. I mean, it's a healthy place to live. Absolutely. It's an amazing state. Is this your first time at Aging at Altitude, or have you been to another one before? No, this is my first time at this one. That's pretty cool. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for letting us interview today. We hope you had a good time and... Well, thank you guys. You had an incredible story. And it's great. What you're doing is great because people, you know, I got involved with a Vietnam group called Vietnam after Vietnam. And they were doing that with, you know, guys coming back and, you know, what's your story so that they have that for a long time. That's, that's, that's amazing. So people well, need to know what we went through those years. Yes, very important and very vital Yes, to, to who we are. Well, thank you well, so thank much. Thank you guys. Of course. All right. Well, hello everybody. This is Evan from AINC and the Aging at Altitude Story Booth. And joining us today is Miriam Pazer. Pazner. Pazner. Pazner, yes. Miriam. Can you please tell us your story? Uh, you mentioned falling in love with a rattlesnake. Actually. Yeah, it's kind of odd. I drive the, the uh, reservoir road, and um, several summers ago, I saw some rangers, and I stopped and I said, they're really into rattlesnakes here. And they said, come. So I had my boots on and got out of my car and went with them across the pasture, and there was a female rattlesnake all curled in the sun, and we woke her up, and she went right into my eyes, and her eyes were like, I can't do this on the radio, it's blind, but almond eyes. And she woke up, and she was mad because we woke her up. Now, she wasn't coiled, that's danger. She was curled because she was sunbathing. Right. And we woke her up, she stared at me, hissed at me, and, and that was it. I fell in love with her up. Fell in love with her. It was just a lovely thing. Unusual. Wow. That's it. Would you describe that as like, how would you describe that? Love is love at first sight? I'm yes. kind of curious. Love, now. At, love <laughs> at first sight of not threatening, and her eyes were almond shaped. Love at first hiss in this case, right? Oh, hiss. <laughs> yeah, she, she did hiss. She went. Right? Yeah, I'm sure. As as with any, like, I mean, I'd be pretty mad if somebody woke me up if I was sunbathing, right? Yeah, That'd be... Nobody wants to be woken up if they're sunbathing. 
right? Yeah. Well, that's pretty funny. That's it. What brings you to the aging at altitude? I'm aging. And you're at altitude. And I'm at high altitude. Yes. And there's a lot of agencies here. I just want to explore. I just wanted to explore, see what there's here. Have you found one in particular that you like really like that stands out to you? Yes. The one called Pet Care back there. I think I'm going to get a job from them because I take care of animals for a partial living and he needs help. He needs somebody. I came in here to buy, but I actually wound up getting a job. That would be really cool, actually. Do you have a favorite animal? Oh, gosh. I suppose it's horses and goats. Goats, especially. Absolutely. Goats are silly. Yeah, horses are my favorite animal, personally, yeah. actually. I like them equally. Yeah. The yeah. goats butt me and eat the horse's hay, and the horses just ignore us and eat yeah. their own hay. Do you have any pets? I have a cat. Oh, very a good. A Maine Coon cat. He's 12. He weighs 17 pounds. Oh, very he's a good. big boy. And he's a survivor of the Four Mile Fire. His house burned to the ground that year, and his parents were out of town, and he got saved, and they gave me a kitten. So I named him after the street that burned down, which is Arroyo Chico. Arroyo Chico is the street in Four Mile Canyon that they lived on where the house burned down. That's it. Wow. That's, that's pretty remarkable, honestly. Um, is this your first time going to Aging at Altitude, too? No, I bought my fourth. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming to our story booth and letting us interview you. You're welcome. Thank you for being here. Hey, this is Evan Starnes, audio production technician. We're at the Aging at Altitude event. And joining us today is Rebecca Million. Um, Rebecca, there's a few things I'd like to know. Firstly... How did you get that last name? Because that is a very unique one. Well, I was just telling a friend of yours uh, how I received this last name, and it's it's spelled exactly like it sounds like. It's M-I-L-L-I-O-N. Mm -hmm. And my grandfather um, originally came from Ukraine, from a town called Zhutomir. And um, originally the name was Galbmillion, which is a Jewish Ukrainian name. And he came to America, and it was changed to Million. Very good. Okay. That's pretty unique, honestly. I've, you know, I don't really meet too many people with the last name Million. In fact, I, I mean, I've, I've heard some pretty unique ones, but that, that definitely takes the cake, you could say. Well, um, the reason why he ended up coming to the United States is because he was uh, inscripted by the Tsarist army uh, wow. during the Russian Revolution. And so my grandfather, my Zadie, fought in the Russian Revolution, and he actually had not a bullet wound, he had a bayonet wound. Wow. And then, uh, as my dad tells the story, my grandfather, my Zadie, saw that the communists were starting to win, and he could really care less who won. He just did not, he had no choice but to be in the, the Tsar's ar army. He escaped, he went uh, AWOL, and he escaped through Scandinavia. Wow. And ended, and then took a boat to America, and there was a cousin in Detroit. So he ended up in Detroit. He had already been married, but his wife and uh, was killed in a pogrom before he was uh, inscripted into the army. That's and remarkable. And that's how that wow. side of my family came to America. Wow. 
that's quite that's honestly quite remarkable so rebecca why in particular are you telling us your story i'd like to know well ironically i was at cu yesterday and i heard a, a lecture by a professor there and he uh teaches in the College of uh, uh, Innovation and, and Creativity. And he talked about how when people tell stories, the storyteller's frontal lobe kind of starts to light up. And the people who are receiving the story, who are hearing that story, their frontal lobes start to light up. And I've always been a great fan of good storytellers and great stories. I had the fortune of uh, in my younger days, backpacking all around the world, many different locations. And I think that storytelling can kind of get lost a little bit. And it used to be, you know, people would sit around and tell wonderful stories. Whether they were true or not, they were there to entertain. So I, I love this, this part of our lives. Definitely. It's really important. I mean, it kind of gave me the the vibe of like campfire stories, you know, people would just go down rabbit holes and it's it quite amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And I, I think it's a very, it's a wonderful art. Yes. And there are professional storytellers out there, which, and if you've ever seen one or heard one, they're wonderful. Yes, absolutely. Well, lastly, what brings you to the Aging at Altitude event today? Well, thanks for asking. I work for Christ Mortuary and Mountain View Memorial Park here in Boulder. Uh, the cemetery's been here since 1947, and the mortuary's been here since the uh, 70s. And I am a universal counselor, which means I assist people in pre-arranging, pre-planning uh, their end-of-life plans. I also act as a funeral director and a director for the cemetery. And I love the families. That's why we do it, our whole staff. Um, it's always about the families. Absolutely. Family is important. I think without family, I mean, I mean, I don't know what you'd have without family. It'd be kind of sad, wouldn't it? It would. And I, and I have to say that one of the things that I benefit from in this position is that I get to hear so many stories about loved ones oh, yeah. and I meet people I would never get to meet. And I get to learn about some amazing people and not that they, you know, cured a disease or that they were president of a country. Some people were amazing just by the way they conducted their life and how they treated people. Oh, and definitely. I've learned so much that way. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to be, um, to come to our story booth today. I hope you had a good time. And I had a great time. Thank you so much. I think what you guys are doing, the work here is really important. Well, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. This is Evan from AINC and the Aging at Altitude Story Booth once again. And here today we have a, actually she's volunteered with us before, and her name is Sally Yeriger. So Sally, you got a story for us. Go on, it's the floor is yours. Okay. I was traveling in a group of people who were crossing the Sahara Desert. And because of the intense heat in the Sahara Desert, the roads are not paved. So you follow a sand track 
and they have barrels that are sort of strung out across the sand and you follow the direction you're going by looking for the barrels. So usually you're in a group of four or five cars together because you don't want to be one car alone in the Sahara Desert in case you miss the barrel marker. And because there are sandstorms, the barrel markers sometimes get covered up or they aren't really um readily available to see. So you travel in a sort of a wing of five or six cars across, and the people who see the barrel marker honk. And so then the whole wing of cars turns that direction. So we were traveling across the Sahara. I was a photographer, um, an amateur photographer, but a passionate amateur photographer. And we ha were traveling in a Land Rover, and we broke an axle. And we had an extra axle that was on the roof rack of our car, but it was also broken. So the group determined that what they would do was leave one person with the car and the rest of them would take off to try to get to the nearest oasis or village and see if they could get our axle welded. So I'm sitting alone in the middle of the Sahara Desert, and it's about 120 degrees, and I'm sitting in the shade of this car with a kind of a tent like um, off the side of it, and I'm kind of drowsy, it's hot, I'm drinking water, and I look out on the horizon and I see these funny little dots on the horizon. And I can't figure out what they are, so I keep watching, and they're getting larger and larger, and I realize they're coming toward me. And I think, okay, well, this could be a group of bandits, in which case I have no defense. I mean, they'll just take all our stuff, and that'll be it. But there was something funny about the size of the little black dots. They kept getting closer and closer and closer. And then I realized that none of them were very tall. It was a group of children who were coming toward me in the middle of the Sahara Desert. So they got to me and they started talking to me, but we didn't have any common language. I could speak a little French, a little English, a little Spanish, and I could speak a little bit of Swahili, but that didn't do any good. And so eventually the kids drew a picture in the sand and the picture was of what looked like a woman lying down in the sand. And they kept pointing to my hair color and pointing to the woman and saying, Utah, Utah. And then they grabbed my hand and they wanted me to follow them. And I realized there was somebody who looked like me who was sick, maybe in the village where they came from. And I, I thought, I shouldn't go with them. It'll be dangerous. And then I thought, but if I don't go, will somebody be in really in physical danger, and I would always wonder what happened. So I left a note for the other people in my caravan who were off getting the axle welded. I left a tape to the steering wheel, and I started walking across the desert with all these children. And eventually we came to a, a little village of kind of mud huts, and usually when I walked into that kind of village, I would make note. I would say only right turns or only left turns, or I would count the number of turns so I could find my way out because there are no street signs. But I got lost in this village right away and just walked as far as I could with the children. And they came to a particular hut and I went in and there was someone who looked like me. 
lying on the ground, a young woman who had blonde hair, and she was not conscious. And the children were pointing at her saying, Utah, Utah. And so I went up to her and I felt her forehead and she was very, very hot. And then one of the children pulled a blanket away from her leg and there was a big red streak running up her leg. And so I realized she had some terrible infection and I had brought with me a rudimentary first aid kit, but I hadn't had first aid classes since high school. I had no idea what to do. So I got some water and I tried to put an antibiotic in her mouth, but she couldn't swallow. So then I saw that there was this stone thing that you use to grind grain. And so I took some antibiotics and I ground it up and I put water in it and I made a paste and I stuck it in her mouth on her gums. And so then I was very tired because I had walked miles across the desert and it was nighttime and I and I thought, all right, I'm just going to stay here with her. I'll sit beside her. And I fell asleep. And the next thing I knew, I woke up somebody was calling my name and it was the woman who had been ill she was sitting up and she said her name was Utah and she said she was a Peace Corps volunteer and that she had some kind of injection of something to keep her from getting sick from malaria and that the injection site had gotten infected and meanwhile I had left one of the children with our Land Rover to show the people in my group where I was when I came back. They came back, they put the kid in the car, they drove into the village, and I was reunited with my group traveling across the Sahara. So that's my Sahara Desert story. Wow. That is absolutely incredible. <laughs> I, I'm i still kind of just like going through it all in my head right now. That's So you saved this person's life essentially and I think so I mean no you did yes I think so I'm pretty sure you did and she the Peace Corps at that time had a rule about never leaving only one volunteer in a remote location but her partner had been medevaced out because her partner had gotten sick with something else so that's why she was there alone wow that's remarkable though well, thank you, Sally, for sharing that story. So we definitely appreciate it. That's an incredible story. You're very welcome. Hey, everybody, this is Evan back with you again at the Aging Well at Altitude convention, if you will, I guess, and the story booth. And joining us today, we have a very special guest, Stanley. I Goralnik. Goral? Goralnik. Goralnik. That is a very, very unique last name. And he's got a really cool story. He actually recorded for a like a recording service, you know, a little over 20 years ago in New York. So, Stanley, um, go ahead and tell us about that. Well, it was wonderful because um, you could go after work and uh, as many people came, that's how many booths they used. Uh, and um, this was the New York office, which was much larger. Um, for the recording of the blind, which I believe was headquartered in Princeton, New Jersey. And every, anybody who was blind could send in two copies of any book, uh, uh, mathematics, chemistry, history, literature, you name it. And, uh, these were sent to New York and used to 
uh, make recordings. I generally, there were always two people on a recording. I generally ran the machine uh, because you had to be able to splice together uh, where somebody was speaking. They probably have better machines today. Occasionally, I did the reading, um, but often there were very famous actors and actresses who would stop in uh, to do a beautiful reading of a piece of literature while I rec um, um, recorded. And um, so I, I stopped by this uh, uh, aging here uh, convention. I'm only 79, but I want to find out what's coming. Want to find out what's coming next. And uh, I do a number of, of uh, nonprofit things, and I've been on a number of nonprofit boards. Um, but the the notion of the audio information network uh, is is really kind of of, of exciting. Um, it sounds as if uh, they could use my experience in finance and on other boards uh, to maybe help out with the um, financial analysis. Yeah, so it looks like you're fixing to be a not maybe maybe not yeah a member of our board yet, but you know just checking us out. Exactly. And it's I think I feel like what we did is kind of similar to what you were doing, you know, way back when. Yes. Um, do any particular actors um, come to mind? I can't remember. Okay. Uh, at this point. That's okay. But you know, it was many years ago. Just figured uh, I'd throw it out there. Yeah. But uh, the other thing is my, my wonderful German teacher, uh, uh, Candace Einbeck, uh, apparently volunteers uh, for you. And yes. um, I had, uh, uh, she had told me this some time ago, uh, and um, uh, I don't like Zoom meetings, but now that you're going back to regular, it's, it's an organization with a purpose uh, and a function which I think is is really important. Uh, not to mention the fact that my doggie goes for half-day dog care uh, three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at um, Arapahoe Animal Clinic. Okay. So I'm kind of familiar with the area. <laughs> Thank you so much for just, you know, letting us interview you today and telling your story. It was actually kind of cool. The pleasure, Evan. All right. Thank you so much for joining us for this special edition of Aftersight and the Aging at Altitude event. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Some of the stories I, I still find myself reeling over. And if you would like to hear more stories of people overcoming their vision loss, please visit uh, Aftersight. Stay tuned here as we are uh, ramping up season two of Aftersight. And Penn is doing a fantastic job and she will be back next week with a special guest. So stay tuned for that. Also, if you are listening on Spotify, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give us a like, subscribe, and if you can hit those five-star notifications and five-star uh, ratings, leave us a review. That would really help us to spread the word about Aftersight. We do also have two other shows, Blindsight, which focuses on behavioral health and mental health, and that is hosted by Bill Lundgren, so make sure you check that out. And we also have our very own Topic of the Month, hosted by Kim Wardlow, our director. So, Please visit those. Uh, you can visit that at aincolorado.org or find those on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere that you consume your podcast. All right. Jonathan Price signing off for Penn Street and Aftersight. Thank you so much. And as always, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, 
you never know who you may bless. 